don't see. I'd looked at them several times, and that's the first time in several years I think I actually discovered something. But that's the way it goes. Reminds me of many, many years ago at Gladewater, Texas. That's back. Oh my! I guess I was a late teen. My late teens went in, sat out in the hamburger parlor, and ordered a big hamburger. Got halfway through it and realized, oh no! <laughs> kind of snuck up on me. Anyway, let's get back to First John. See what we can get done today. Down in verse 23 is where we left off. <clears throat> it says, Whoever de- Whosoever denies the Son, the same has not the Father. And in the context above that, he was talking about people who had crept into the church who were antichrist, against Christ. And there's two factors really, I think, involved there. Some who may really have been putting Christ down, who had come in, into the church, and then others who took his name but denied doing what he said, which was commandment keeping, and that's the whole key to this book of 1 John, is commandment keeping. So there were some from both sides there. And you're denying Christ when you don't do the things that he says, whether you accept his name or not. Uh, The name is nothing without doing what he says and living like he lived and wants us to live. Anyway, uh, if you deny him either by openly denying him or by your works, you don't have the Father, he says, or the Son. Verse 24, let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. He was talking to a church that was falling apart during his lifetime, as we talked about last night. And he tells them, Stick to the things that were once delivered to you. Herbert Armstrong, I firmly believe, was a man called by God and given a great deal of truth from God. And the basics and the foundation that he laid were absolutely correct. And then after his death, there came in those who began to take it right back into Protestantism And people began to deny the things that they had been taught. Now, would God raise up a church in the end time and give it all false doctrine? Well, of course not. But then there came in some who says, well, this is the church, so whatever they teach must be right. Not realizing that the Antichrist had moved in. And they were anti-Christ and anti-God in the things that they began to introduce in the church, which are straight out of pagan Protestantism. And much of the church did not abide in that which they had learned from the beginning, 
even as these people were not abiding by what Christ, Peter, James, John, and all of them had taught from the time that they were ordained to preach. They were going a different way. So he said, don't stray from the things that you learned. He himself had continued in what Christ taught them there before he died in John 13 to 17. He was still teaching the very same thing, as I pointed out last night, that he, that Christ had told him. But they obviously were at odds with John here. So he's having to write the letter to tell them, go back to that which you were taught. You're going the wrong way. Can the church of God change? Can it go wrong? Well, why did he say that Sardis died? It was became dead. It wasn't the church of God anymore. It was dead. That's what became of worldwide. It died. And of Laodicea, that wasn't the church of God anymore, really. He spewed it out of his mouth. Do you, if you, let's say you throw up. Do you claim what you just spewed into the toilet as yours? Not much. (laughs) You flush it as quick as you can to get rid of it because it was worthless to your body. Did you no good? It had changed from good food which you had taken in to something upsetting that your body would not tolerate. Now, the Father and the Son came to the point they could not tolerate what worldwide had become after Herbert Armstrong died. So he spewed it out of his mouth, and he's not picking through and eating it. Now, that analogy goes so far, and of course he does say those who repent and change and go back to the things first delivered and the truth of God, he will bring out as a remnant. But the church of God can become not the church of God, is the point I'm making. And these people who had denied Christ's teaching... He said they don't have the Father and the Son. They're no longer connected to the tree or to the vine. They've been cut off because of false teaching that they had accepted. And he's warning about those who would come in and teach things that had not been delivered by God to the one God appointed. Or the ones that he had appointed. Let that therefore abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If that which you've heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. Don't get rid of the basic doctrines. These things have I written to you concerning them that seduce you, who are trying to take you away from the basic principles and foundation that was laid under Herbert Armstrong, by God. Now, you and I have learned a lot since then, 
But we haven't, we haven't departed whatsoever from the basic foundations. The Sabbath, the holy days, our purpose on earth to become God, the mystery of the ages, which they did away with, and other things that were basic to the truth, to the true church. You depart from that and you have no loyalty to those who break away. And this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. We believe in that. We believe that we'll be changed in a moment and a twinkling and have immortality and eternal life. The promise of God will be fulfilled. These things have I written to you concerning them that truly are seducing you. But the anointing which you have received of him abides in you, and you need not any man teach you. Now, people jerk that phrase out of there and say, well, we don't need ministers. We don't need anybody to teach us. And yet, Paul said over and over uh, things about preaching, and he himself preached. Remember Eutychus fell out at midnight, and then Christ, uh, Paul preached till dawn. So, the example all through the New Testament is of preaching and teaching. But people jerk this one phrase out of the middle of a verse and say, I don't need a teacher. I'm all I need. That's not what John's saying at all. He's saying you have been taught. You have learned from James, Peter, John, Jude, and the others. But you don't need someone to come in and seduce you away from the truth and teach you other things. Now, what is he doing himself right here in this letter? He's teaching them, is he not? So is he going to contradict everything he's saying here by saying you don't need a man to teach you? No. Go all the way through the Bible. God always sent teachers to teach his people whether it was Elijah or Moses, whether it was Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the minor prophets, Daniel, you name it, and all the New Testament apostles. So obviously God has always sent teachers and preachers, essentially the same. It's what he's always done. And here he's writing a letter to teach them what they need to know at that point in time. So he obviously is not saying you don't need anybody to teach you. What he is saying is you don't need anybody to teach you the Antichrist and seduce you away from the truth. You don't need any man to teach you that stuff. He says be careful that you aren't seduced from the truth. That's the context of that statement. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things, who was the anointing? Christ anointed the apostles to go teach. So he says, don't go to others for teaching. You know, there are people that, even in the church over the years, for decades, would listen to Protestant preachers even though they were part of the church. 
They get on the radio, the TV, listen to Protestant preachers. No. They don't have the truth. Some of what they say may sound good, but it always has a wrong twist. We shouldn't be listening to anyone who is not teaching the truth, including those who may used to have taught it but aren't anymore. I've used Frank Nelty a couple of times as an example. I'll use him again. I won't listen to a thing the man says or writes. Because he said from his own mouth, we have to think higher than the Bible. Now what level of presumptuousness and vanity and ego is this to think we can think higher than the Word of God? That's craziness. That's absolutely antichrist. And then he said, because Luke said we ought to do the Passover in a certain order, we just have to throw the book of Luke out. I think I read back there in Revelation 22 not to take from this Bible one word, not to add to it or take from it. So when you say to somebody, you need to think higher than the Word of God, you're taking, you're adding to it. Because you're saying, my thoughts are higher than these thoughts. And yet God tells us in Isaiah, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And where do you come up with that kind of crazy logic? That you're smarter than the Bible. It's ridiculous. And then to throw the whole, Luke's testimony, just throw it out. Or if you don't like what Numbers or Deuteronomy, whichever one it is, says about the Passover, you throw that out because some Jew must have messed with it because it doesn't agree with what I believe. That's just the way the Protestants do. Throw out what parts of the Bible you don't like. Now, there's somebody who was ordained in the church of God, got somewhat of a following, and wrote reams and reams of papers about various things, a lot of which he was wrong about, including the calendar. Wrote probably a pile of papers that high about the calendar and still didn't understand it. Now, I'm sorry, I don't mean to get off on a vendetta like that necessarily, but What's John saying? He's saying, go by what this book says and what you've been taught from it from the beginning. And if people start going way off base, you don't follow them and get seduced by that. Picking up again there, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it has taught you, you shall abide in it. Stick to the straight and narrow. Stick to the things that God ordained and put here for us. And he says, Thy word is truth, and to live by every word of God. So if we throw part of it out, 
and say we can think higher than it is, we have a problem. Just as these people did. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If we stick to truth, as written in this book, we'll have nothing to be ashamed of. We can appear in confidence before him, because we say, here's what you wrote, this is what I followed. That gives you confidence. If Herbert Armstrong was not appointed and trained by God, what are we doing here? Why continue? Isn't God big enough to have given truth to a man? Didn't he give it to the prophets? Didn't they write it down? Didn't he give Herbert Armstrong the capability to read the Bible and follow what it said and realize that what he had been taught growing up as a Quaker, a Protestant, was wrong because it didn't agree with this? And then just like that, when he died, seducing spirits came in and took the church the whole wrong direction. And not very many have survived. Thankfully, you're still here. There's lessons we have to learn. Verse 29, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that does righteousness is begotten of him. So do we really believe Christ was righteous? (coughs) I do. But the Methodists and Baptists don't. The Pharisees didn't. Christianity as a whole does not believe he was right. He didn't eat unclean meats, but they do. He didn't keep Sunday, but they do. He didn't keep Christmas and Easter and all the pagan holidays, but they do. He did what was written in the book. And he came and said, I'm going to make it even more binding on you, not less. So everyone that does what he did, that's the bottom line. Do what he did. And he didn't do what churchianity today is doing. So they're not followers of Christ. They're anti-Christ, against everything he basically said and did. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. They say, we love you, but they're done away with. (laughs) Direct contradiction. Crazy. Chapter 3, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God, Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Now those people back then, Pharisees, Essenes, Sadducees, the groups of the Jews, thought they were righteous. 
They thought they had close contact with God the Father. But they didn't. He said they were serpents and sons of Satan, of their father the devil. So they thought they were one thing, and they were totally the opposite. That's what he told them. You're just the opposite of what you say you are. That's what happened to the church of God here at the end. But he says, what manner of love he's given us. He says, let's understand. Let's stick with that. As I said last night, we're Elohim. We are part of the family of God, the sons of God. Haven't been glorified yet, but we're members of the family. How can Christ be our brother if we're not a member of his family? He's our brother. Stated so. Same family. The world knows us not because it knew him not. And that's what he said in that, what we read at Passover night. They'll dislike you. They'll hate you. They'll persecute you. If they hated me, they'll hate you. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now, already, we're called sons by God, of God, of the God family. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. So we're already a member of the family. We're just not glorified to be the ultimate form of what the family is. doesn't yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. No one unglorified can look upon him in his glory. But he says, then we'll be able to do that. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So Christ's sacrifice in his blood purified us. But we as humans still continue to have human nature and we still continue to commit infractions, sins. So he says, even as you've been declared pure, continue purifying yourselves. Because we don't remain completely pure. Any sin that we sin contaminates us. And that's why we go to him regularly and pray for forgiveness so that the purification is still there. The purity is there and the purification process continues. Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. How do all these churches preach against sin, and yet they deny the definition of sin, which is laid out right here in verse 4. Sin is the transgression of the law. You ask them what sin is, and it's drinking, smoking, card playing, dancing. That's sin to them. It has nothing to do with the law of God. Of all those four things I name, there's only one that I think you could call a sin. There's nothing with, wrong with alcohol, 
Bible doesn't condemn it. Too much, yeah, but not alcohol. So you can drink, and you can dance, and you can play cards, and not sin at all. Smoking is a sin because it's destroying the temple of the Holy Spirit. So is Coca-Cola and Pepsi and white sugar and all these chemicals that we imbibe in our systems and pay little attention to. Like I said last night, when I was a kid, you never heard of diabetes except maybe once in your life as a kid. You didn't hear cancer. Hardly any cancer around. There was very little heart disease. And yet people were eating pigs and shrimp and crabs and lobsters. And had been for thousands of years and still didn't have those diseases. Now you look at what we eat and drink today, and we have a society that's absolutely sick because they're eating chemicals and things that have had all the food value taken out of them, and they're poisons. If you're not supposed to smoke a cigarette, why are you supposed to drink a Coca-Cola? Come on. Why are you supposed to eat sugar, pastries out of the grocery store? They're full of chemicals and poison. And God tells us to take care of our bodies. Do those things become sin? I think they do. Because you are defiling your body, which is the temple of the Spirit of God. And then when you come down with diabetes, cancer, and heart trouble, you want God to heal you. Now, if you're going to eat all that crap, Pardon my language. No, don't pardon it. That's what it is. You're going to eat all that stuff. Why don't you go to the doctor instead of to God? Herbert Armstrong told us to eat honey and whole wheat. We got clear away from all that and went back to the garbage that the world's eating. Transgression of the law. You know, when you're imbibing of all those things that the world offers you today, you're committing murder. That's against the law. You're murdering yourself. Self-destruction is a sin. Verse 5, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abides in him sins not. Whosoever sins has not seen him, neither known him. So, we do not live a life of sin. We try to put sin out of our lives. That's what we're here for during these days, is to continue to put sin out. So I'm speaking pretty freely and pretty adamantly about some things that are sin in our lives. 
that we need to get rid of. We shouldn't have pastries from the grocery store at our potlucks or anything of the kind. We shouldn't have junk food. Now, what you do in your own house, that's your business. But what you bring to God's house ought to be helpful and good for people's bodies instead of slowly murdering ourselves. Verse 7, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. So they were telling them the law was no longer in effect. So he had to define the law, transgression of sin, or transgression of the law is sin, that's what it is. And if you do righteousness, keep the law, then you're righteous like Christ was righteous. That's the way we want to be. He that lives in or practices or commits sin is of the devil. That's pretty plain speaking. For the devil sinned from the beginning. What was his sin? Ego, vanity, selfishness, thinking he was greater than God. Now we do that on a much smaller level. When we want to do something that isn't good for us or isn't good, and God says, do this and do this, and we want to go do that. And in so doing, we are being presumptuous and not doing as God would have us do. And we're not righteous as he is righteous. And if it's a sin, then we're followers of the devil. For the devil sins from the beginning, and those who drug worldwide away from the truth are of the devil. They are not of God. The Tkachia's God is Satan, because they're following satanic doctrines, not the truth of the Bible. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I want to put this in terms we can understand on the basis of where we are today as opposed to what John was writing 2,000 years ago when the same thing was happening in the church. And he's telling them, don't you go along with it, just as we were not to go along with it. Hopefully we've survived and have stayed with the truth. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. That was the whole thing. Satan had the whole world deceived. Christ came to live a perfect life and to set an example and destroy the works of the devil. And when Satan tempted him, he defeated him. And he's going to win in the long run because he's going to bring you and me and a lot of other people to salvation. Because he's stronger than the devil. So we need to be sure that we don't follow the doctrines of demons, and Sunday worship is one of them. Whosoever is born, it says, it should be begotten. Uh, we're not born into the kingdom of God yet. We're only begotten, like a baby in the womb, 
been begotten, but it hasn't been born yet. It's, it's not a full human being until it's born. It's in the development stage. We're in the development stage of becoming God. And then we're born into his kingdom. So anyway, whosoever is begotten of God does not commit sin. Doesn't live a life of sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is begotten of God. He just can't go that way. Now he's not saying you cannot possibly in any circumstance sin. Because we know, all know we can sin. It's very easy to do. But what he's saying is, if you're part of the church of God, part of the kingdom of God, already, as he just said, you can't live a life of sin. You can't claim Christianity and follow the ways of the devil, the ways of the world, the ways of our nature. Can't do that. Now, we slip and we make mistakes, but we can't live that way. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, those who are keeping the law and those who are breaking the law. That's how you tell the difference. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loves not his brother. If you don't love your brother as yourself, then you're not of God. Now, we all fail to one degree or another in that, time to time, but we need to be living that, demonstrating that, showing that, that we love each other. Because that is how people will know that we are the disciples, the followers of Christ, is if we love each other. He said that, we read it on Passover night. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. The beginning of the New Testament church was right there during the time of, and Pentecost following that Passover was the beginning of it. And Christ was the one who was the primary teacher. Even before it formally began, he was teaching the teachers, those who would become the ministers, the apostles, over the church. So love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Cain did not slay Abel, because he was, Abel was a wicked person. Cain slew Abel because Cain was wicked. He was thinking selfishly. He wanted his way. And he was jealous. He knew what he should offer to God, but he didn't do it. His brother offered what God had said, an animal. Cain offered what he had grown as carrots and cabbage and said, my carrots and cabbage are as good as your lamb. And then when God was not happy with him, he slew the one that had done it right. He didn't really have much brotherly love there. So he then repeats in verse 13 what Christ had said there before he died. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. 
The world is not going to like us if we obey God and they know that's what we're doing. I mean, you may be living a righteous life and you go into Walmart and nobody there is, but just looking at you, you wouldn't know the difference. The ones that don't like you are the ones that find out what you think about God because they have an automatic resistance to God. (coughs) And if you try to teach people you know about God, they will resent you and hate you for it. We know that we have passed from death into life. We're living because we have the living Spirit of God in us and the living Word of God in us. Streams of living water that come out from Christ. So we know that we are alive because we love the brethren. That's what the instruction is. Love the brethren And that's how we know that we're in life and in the light. And it's how others know that. There is nothing more important than loving each other other than loving God more than anyone or anything. Whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, what does hate mean here? He that hates his brother is a murderer. Well, you can say, well, I don't hate anybody. I don't think real black thoughts about them. I don't hate them, so I'm no murderer. And yet, isn't it a matter of degrees when we dislike somebody we put them down. We talk negative about them. Isn't that a little bit milder form of hate than that black cloud where you want to kill them? We don't generally have that mental approach and attitude. But we certainly can have one of put down and condemnation. And that is a level of hatred. And That's not the way you want to be treated. Therefore, since you don't want to be half-hated, then you can't afford to half-hate others. Because it's the spirit of murder is what it is. It's the spirit of murder. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. This is as a basic Christianity as you can possibly get. Maybe it's boring to go through this. I don't know. It shouldn't be, because these things are the things that are so important to our lives and our future. You don't get any more truthful than this, any more right than this, any more important than this. Love is the greatest thing. So we should be not condemning each other, not putting each other down and speaking negatively about each other, but laying down our lives for each other. Now, we don't have to die to do that, 
But we have to become a living sacrifice, as Romans 12 tells us. We stay alive, but we use our life to serve others. That's laying it down, because you're giving of your time, your energy, your thoughts, your prayers for others. And that's laying down your life for them. Your time is your life. If you run out of time, you've run out of life. <laughs> You're dead if you've got no more time. So laying down your life is the same thing as laying down your time for others. Now, if you're laying down your tongue against them, that's not what he's talking about at all. But whoso has seen this world's good and sees his brother have need and shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? And all you have to do is look at the compassion and the mercy, the grace extended by Christ <coughs> to heal those who came to him, whoever they were. didn't matter. If they came, he saw their need, and he helped. So he had that compassion, that love, that consideration, that desire to help. That spirit of an attitude of service is what we have to continually use and develop. Here am I. What do you need? Here I am. Anything you need, here I am. Like Samuel, here am I. Did you call me? Here I am. I'll jump up in the middle of the night. You need something? Here I am. That's the attitude God is looking for in us in serving each other as need occurs. My little children, let us not love in word. It's easy to say, well, I love everybody. I just, I love everybody. It's easy to say that. Neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Saying you will is one thing. Doing it is quite another. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Now he's speaking here to people whose love was growing cold. And Christ told us there in Matthew 24 that here in the end time, the love of many would wax cold and they would begin to turn on one another and hate one another and even turn each other in to death. That's coming very shortly now within churchianity and within the church of God. So what John is writing is very, very pertinent to today in the world you and I live in. Because it won't be long until uh, this is going to become more and more open. They've already got a war against Christians. They've got a war against white people. And it's increasing in rhetoric day by day. And it's going to get to the point where they're going to destroy every white person there is. Because the Gentiles hate Israelites. That's all there is to it. So they're going to stamp out. Everybody that's half white or white or mostly white or looks white or speaks white. That's their goal. That's their purpose. They're going to do it. 
the times of the Gentiles is not very far away from us. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. If there is truly love in us for each other, that is proof positive that we are part of the family of God. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. God gives us the benefit of the doubt, in other words. We look at ourselves and say, why would God want me? <laughs> Who am I? I'm nothing. He's the sovereign of the universe. Why would he care about me? And yet he does because he created us and he loves his creation. That's just how he is. And we are struggling to love each other and to have our hearts right and to be where they ought to be. And sometimes we condemn ourselves even as we condemn others. And he says, but God's greater than that. He knows if you're putting forth the effort and you're working at it, you're repairing your heart. You're making it what it ought to be. And he's working with you in spite of yourself. And that's what he does with every one of us. He works with us and for us in spite of ourselves. Because none of us are what we ought to be. We are struggling to become what we ought to be. And he, in his grace and mercy and compassion and love, is willing to see beyond what we are. And see what he can do with us to transform us and make us into God. He's greater than our own heart. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. So as we grow and overcome and we put sin out, then we know that our heart is being cleansed. And in being cleaner, more obedient, then we begin to have confidence toward God. I doubt if Paul... <clears throat> had a whole lot of confidence right after he'd been struck blind on the road to Damascus. And he realized with horror that he had been killing people that God loved and was working with and that were the true Christians. I imagine he went through a period of emotional and mental adjustment, spiritual adjustment, for a long time, and you can see it in his writing, that he was struggling. Who can save me from this body of sin and death, he said. Only Christ can, was his conclusion. So he struggled as he went through life. Even as an apostle, he struggled. But then when he got near the end of his life, he said, I've finished the course, I've run the race, I'm going to make it. By growing and overcoming he had come to have a clear conscience and a confidence that he was going to be in the kingdom of God. Now, we should be working toward that, of having that kind of confidence, because we are changing, we're growing, we're overcoming, 
we're doing better than we did yesterday and last year. We're working at it. And hopefully, by the time the change come or our death, we will have come to that point where we can have confidence that we're going to be in the kingdom of God. That's what he's telling us here. If you get to the place where you don't see sin every time you look in the mirror, but you see somebody who's doing better, and your heart doesn't then condemn you, you can have confidence. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, we may have been not keeping his commandments hardly at all before we were converted, and then we accepted them and we began working at keeping them, And I dare say that we're probably keeping them a lot better now than we were when we first learned that we needed to. It was a struggle, but we're doing better now. And we ought to be gaining confidence because we're doing those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, Christ did everything pleasing in his sight, and he said, With him I am well pleased. Now, John is telling us that we need to be coming along behind Christ and pleasing God by the way we act and react and what we do and the kind of life we live. If it is obedient to the commandments, then that pleases God. And you know, it doesn't really matter in some respects if you please men. It doesn't matter... Even some, a lot of times if you please yourself or not. Because pleasing the self is often selfish. But if we're pleasing God, we have our minds on helping and serving and loving. Our brethren and Him. And that pleases Him. And when He finally makes His judgment on you and me, it would be nice if He would say, They've grown. They've overcome. I'm pleased. And he says it is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. There's nothing make him happier after this 6,000 years of dealing with mankind than to say, please enter my kingdom. I want to live with you forever and ever in peace and love and truth. Come on in. What a welcome thing that will be. So, let's work at keeping His commandments and pleasing Him so that we can give Him that good pleasure of conferring eternal life on us. That's enough for tonight.